What's going on, everybody? Sam Brown here with episode number two of the In Between Sets podcast with Sam Brown. Um, yeah, I'm excited to bring you episode number two. It's a couple days later than I anticipated. I got sick as a dog, had a fever, couldn't sleep. It was awful, but uh, I, I've since survived. It did not kill me. It did make me stronger, uh, I think. I have no idea, but... This conversation that I had today, I was lucky enough, lucky enough to have a great talk with the master of the bench, Josh Bryant. Uh, for those who don't know, he is the creator of Jailhouse Strong. He's an author. He's a coach. He's a badass, and he is the young. I believe he's the youngest bencher to bench 600 pounds. Unbelievable! Just a, an absolute superhuman. And now he is creating some of the biggest benchers and just strongest human beings on the planet. So. Yeah, this was uh, a conversation that I knew I needed to have. I, I worked with him several years ago, and I have been an absolute fan of his for years and years. He is a, a true artist, a true master of the craft, and he is one of the smartest, most intelligent, genuine human beings that you could possibly meet. So enough blibber blabbering on. Let's get right into episode number two of In Between Sets Podcast with Josh Bryant. My recorder here. Perfect double recording. All right. Josh Bryant, how the hell are you? I'm pretty damn good. What's going on, Sam? Oh, not much. Uh, I apologize for the delay on this one. Uh, I decided to try to die over the last few days, but uh, couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> Some sort you of work, 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 work harder to achieve your goals. <laughs> I guess, man. I uh, visited my nieces and all of a sudden I came back with some sort of crazy disease that little kids tend to, they find, they find and pass gotcha. on to everybody. Um, first off, thank you very much for joining me here. This is, this has been, you have been somebody I've wanted to talk to in this format for literally years. Um, I've had experience with your writing, with your videos you've made, with with programs you've written, and it's always been absolutely amazing. Uh, so that I just wanted to say that first and foremost, thank you very, very much for jumping on. Yeah, I, I've seen some of the stuff you've done, Sam, and I like the I like the uh, questions, the vibe, the educational aspect, and and frankly, it's nice to see somebody that's, you know kind of hung around the industry for more than like a year or two. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, again, it's I, not seventy-five years old, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I've actually worked with you for uh, I think it was about five or six months, and man, yeah, you, about you, seven or eight years ago. Yeah, mm. and your programming was something that I want to dive into a lot today. But yeah. man, it was a total shock to the system. And I need to share this personal story about this, about what it was like, because <laughs> you, first off, when someone hears remote coaching or online coaching, they assume it's just a template and there you go. You were like, Hey, jump on a phone with me. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, was just, yes. I, I was like blown away that you uh, actually wanted to jump on a phone call. And I was like, talking about some of my maxes, some of my history and stuff like that. And you essentially ended the phone call with, and this was the best piece of information you could have given me. You were like, oh yeah, so it just sounds like you're weak. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I, I guess you're right, coach. Thanks. <laughs> but it was just, it was that just, just total honesty and truth to the situation is, is I was bouncing around trying to out technique the, the lack of strength that I had. 
you know, and, and you just kind of put it right in the forefront and say, Hey man, you just got to get stronger. Right. And it was, uh, it was, it was one of those situations where I was like, yo, what the fuck, man? I was like, how did I, how have I missed this? Cause I was competing at the national level in strongman. I thought I was yep. king shit. I just finished like, I forgot it was like 2017 nationals. It was like middle of the pack. Like it wasn't that great, but I was feeling strong and you're like, yeah, no, you're just weak. I was like, Oh, fuck. well, that's actually more common in strongman than you think. So it wasn't like a, um, just try to shoot straight with people, but that's definitely, um, you know, a lot of people will get like, you know, I, they can, their times are in, in, in stuff on the more technical It's actually pretty good. And you'd be like, you know, oh, what do you weigh? 320. What do you deadlift? You know, like 565. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like they've gotten so good at the skill aspect, but obviously it's only going to take you so far. The example I always use is um, I've literally had people behind my back that are powerlifters that are athletic. We'll be like, oh, I was watching my friend at a trauma conference. So they said we jump in, they jump in, they like win second or third place. Say, mm-hmm. um, I guess I guess you don't win second place, but they receive second or third place. Right, right. And and it's like, wow, how'd you do so well? It's because you're you're athletic and you're strong. And I think obviously the to be the best and strongman, you're gonna obviously have to have good, good technique. But if you're you know a super heavyweight, you can't. Uh, deadlift even you know over 800 pounds at some point the buck's gonna stop and you're gonna have to get stronger if you want to get better Mm, absolutely and i had a conversation with ed cohen about simplicity right there's Mm -hmm. there is an art to keeping things simple and understanding what your goal really is and i think with your training specifically it was so like when i was working with you and what i've seen Um, with a lot of your people is is how brutally strong you can get people I was right. my, cause I had mentioned, I was like, Oh, my pressing is kind of my, my weak point. I can, I can get under the bar quick, like in a, in a skill set in a, like a, mm-hmm. like a jerk fashion, but I need to get more brutally strong. And you're like, all right, fuck it. Here we go. And man, that was the most pressing and the most violent I've ever felt pressing in my life. <laughs> right. We're, we're doing, we're doing powerlifting, but the powerlifting for strongman is your bench press becomes the overhead press. And it's that simple. Yeah. And you have been known, you've carved out your niche as like the pressing guru. You have, I mean, obviously you're working with Julius Maddox. He was the best bench presser, uh, I think ever. Like he's, he is yep. a, an absolute mutant. And, but you keep seeing people come into your camp and their benches, every, I mean, everything goes up, but you notice their bench presses go up and up and up. And I want to go into that with you because that's something that's fascinated me as a strongman athlete. Now going more into the powerlifting realm of things is, is just how much of bench pressing is just brute force and brute strength. Right. So, um, are you where are you at now? Are you in Ohio still? Yeah, I'm still out in Ohio. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm still training. Yeah, at no, um, awesome. Uh, I thought you were. Um, so yeah, I think especially if it's raw bench pressing, a, a vast majority of it is the the example I always use is, um, you know, you look at that. What about that Iranian guy that uh, oh, passed geez. away that was bench bench pressing in the Paralympics? damn near the you know open world record for raw bench pressing yeah with you know with no leg drive so i think like it's not to downplay those factors but the, the example i use is that look at you look at olympic lifting you everybody that that does well in the snatch mm-hmm. um everybody that's you know mastered the snatch okay that sounds 
I'm this still is. working on it, coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want you to dress nice, go there, order a couple. No, <laughs> no seriously. Um, no, what, what they all they all look fairly similar. So, in the sense of like nobody bench or nobody snatches, and you go, wow, like that. He just ground that out, or like that looks horrible. You know, that looks awful, but. You know, he's, he's still one of the best in the world. They all look pretty good doing it. We're bench pressing. You could have, you know, some random bodybuilder doesn't know what they're doing with any kind of technical stuff, and they're really strong. So mm-hmm. it is going to be mostly – it's going to be mostly power, mostly strength, mostly size, things like that, like the more like power building approach type of thing for raw bench pressing is definitely – that's not to downplay the technique, but that will, people will make it sound like it's going to, you know – you're not going to, you're not going to make a, a poodle into a pit bull. It's right. going to be, you know, okay. You, okay. You bench press say 600 pounds. Cause you're, you're just cock strong. Mm-hmm. We get the leg, get the legs right. You're up to 615, 620, 630 kind of thing. Not like it just transforms you. Like people have you believe because everybody's, I think that's why I've always done well with this is I don't really have an angle. My angle is to get results. And I know at the end of the day, results are, are going to pay the bills for me. Mm-hmm. They're going to help. They're going to get the client what they want, give the client what they want. I get what I want. Everybody's happy where a lot of people are looking for a gimmick and, and, and it's, it's just not there with bench pressing there. There is some technique to it. Of course, like you want to, when you're going for a world record, every pound counts, right? So you better cross the T's dot the I's but you can't, you know, it doesn't help you to put four dots over the eye. You just need one. So that's, I got to look at the, the mm. power versus, you know, a lot of it is going to be just building nasty ass brute power. Oh, absolutely. And, and how do you, you know, kind of start crossing that bridge with, so when I was with elite, our, our demographic was mostly people that were training between two to five years, uh, not really uh-huh. competitive. They just wanted to be stronger and fucking look better naked. But the bench press was always a right. question that came up, and it was always something that people wanted to get better at. And and it's funny because if you look at any sort of Globo gym, even the, the most commercial of commercial gyms have somebody in there that's a total gym bro that's probably benching close to four plates, right? And from, right. Just, from just doing it over and over and over and over, right? It, they'll, they'll bench five times in a week, and they'll have tiny legs, but it doesn't matter because they're still – bench and four plates how much of your initial work with somebody is just getting them to do that thing more well it's gonna uh, it's gonna be that more or less depending on who it is because some right. people will bend. It, it just depends on on who it is and, and what they do so that's the, the like the point is um you know like when we talked to that first time it's mainly to find out what you've been doing mm-hmm and um, if you're plateau and you're bench pressing uh, five days a week, say, we probably know the higher frequency approaches are needed because you've been plateaued for three years. Where if, you know, you you train chest, quote unquote, and you rotate bench in once a month, but by bench pressing twice a week, we probably get really good results. So you, you got to kind of look at that history. And I'll be honest, I've been around the bench press so much it's it just like was like kind of destined almost in a sense yeah, like right right it right like my dad's best friend when i was like five years old um benched 540 at the apf nationals in, in florida you know way back then and oh, my dad was in a powerlifter right so we would go up to the gym we'd watch him um we would go to i'd go to the ymca when i was young and watch people bench press because i wanted to bench press and then i eventually snuck in there started doing it myself as my favorite lift then uh it's even funnier in high school 
I, I worked at a hardcore gym and I was managing it when I was like 16. Then I got a job that paid better, you know, when I was about 18 doing um, grounds crew at this college, like, you know, like just kind of, I guess, blue collar kind of work. And anyways, the point being on that, even on that grounds crew, everybody was into the bench press. I've always just been around like bench pressing for some reason mm. and wanted to get better at it. And it was kind of like, like destined to be, I guess, in that sense too. But what I would do with people is look at what they've been doing, look at their progress, then look at what changes we can make. So if you, someone with a total blank slate, you know, I always say like you were saying the programming is real individualized. It is, but I could start us off to say like, I'm going to train, I'm going to work with you and then um, somebody else of similar age and history, injury history and all that. I might start you off pretty dang similar, but what I'm looking at is what goes on and then kind of transform the, the changes to, to what you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh, and, and what if we can just run like the most simplistic, you know, twice a week, one heavy day, one lighter day, emphasis on close grips for years and you keep going up there, there would really be no reason to change that. Right. Yeah. And I think that it just doesn't, unfortunately it doesn't work that way because I always <laughs> say you, you're bench pressing a bar today. You had five pounds a week the next three years, you're in 825. Mm -hmm. You just kicked Julius Mattis's ass yeah. where he's at right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not very realistic. Right, exactly. And and that variation of uh, your training modalities was something that blew, um, not only blew my mind, but like my system. I, I had to focus so much and so hard on recovery when I was working with you because you were like, all right, mm -hmm. here we go. Like we, Because we were doing so many different things that I hadn't done um, in terms of volume and in terms of intensity, uh, the comp compensatory acceleration was amazing to work. I still utilize that yeah. to this day. Do you want to go into that just a little bit? Yeah. So that was what Fred Hatfield always, you know, kind of said separated the champs from the chumps was the ability, ability to compensatory accelerate the weight. And I've always like, um, I've always been, been fortunate enough before I'd done any work with him or anything to be around people that put an emphasis on it. So the takeaway point is um, you want to, you know, people always say you want to lift a, a light, a lightweight, like it's heavy and heavyweight, like it's light kind of thing is you want to basically put, well, all, all this means is you are compensating. Okay. So like, as you like a bench press is a ascending strength curve. Yep. So in theory, as you, as you lift, as you lift the weight up, it should get um, easier. If you're talking about a raw bench press, and by compensating for that improvement in mechanical advantage, what you do, most people, okay, let me step back. Most people relax, hit the brakes, and coast home. So they're really only getting the adaptive overload at the bottom portion of the lift. Right. However, right. if you choose to accelerate the entire range of motion, um, that's then you get the adaptive overload, the whole part mm -hmm. of the lift. And that's the beauty of it is, so basically, if you think about it, like wire... Um, why are people that work with me say making progress faster? And so besides, you know, we can go volume, you know, intensity, exercise selection, all this, a lot of it's intent though. You gotta go back to something simple. It doesn't matter if you're, if my program's better than yours, but I choose not to compensatory accelerate the weight you choose to, mm -hmm. you might end up kicking my equal starting point and all other factors. You might end up kicking my ass just because of the understanding that one thing. It's very, very important because you start going, let's just say, you did eight sets, three reps, or three sets, eight, either way, 24 reps. And you start doing that for like your average workout, 24 reps of workout. 
you do that only even only one you know let's just do 20 reps so it's easy you do that once a week for 50 weeks that's a thousand reps mm-hmm. okay if you did a thousand reps with maximum adaptive overload versus a thousand reps with only going hard enough to get adaptive overload out of the bottom over the course of those 50 workouts and thousand reps who's going to be stronger of course the person compensatory accelerating the weight yeah and that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh Adelite, obviously we get roped into the whole conjugate everything um, and bands and chains, but that's essentially doing the same thing. It only has an external means of reminding you to accelerate, right? Accommodating resistance. That's an interesting point you bring up. There's a study on that, and it was about 10 years ago on baseball players that were um, in bench pressing that were fairly novice, and it was talking about how bench pressing with chains they actually did better than the group that just bench pressed with straight weight. Mm-hmm. And over like eight or 10 weeks or whatever, I don't recall exactly off the top of my head, but the point being is that people, most people read that, this is stupid. Why are they doing that so early on? I think what you just hit the nail on the head, that's that external means of resistance that's forcing you to do that because you're going to, you know, either you do that or your ass is grass and the, the barbells, a lawnmower saw you in half. You better learn to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Where like what I'm saying requires actual focus and intent the, and I think the re that's part of the reason, you know, you may not get full transference. If you don't practice, if you only did bands or changes, you advance, it's going to, you're going to learn to turn it on when you have to. Right. But then, then you don't, if you don't have to, you know, like an example being one time I did a, uh, a re- a experiment with bands on squats for uh, for just like four weeks and i got up to using like some crazy mm-hmm. amounts of, of tension on there and it was like it was it was it was like uh, i had like 660 pounds of bar weight and like 400 or so pounds of band weight mm-hmm. so it's over a thousand pounds at the top go you know so pretty easy but i got so good at using the bands to my advantage mm-hmm. that it, the bands not only like kind of you know at first they make it unstable but i had so much tension on it literally morphed into like my own homemade smith machine right a right. b i i got so good at using them i learned to use that elasticity that stretch reflex boom pop out of the bottom mm-hmm. comes right up and i'm like dude like this is like you know but that, it, that's not what happened with raw weight so then go the next week um, or a couple weeks later, you go up to like 7.05 and uh, with, and it felt a little harder than it should. I'm like, okay, like obviously just not used to the technique or something. You go up to, you know, 7.70 next, get stuck at the bottom. And I would have thought I'd have been like well, well, well deep into the eights at that time. Right. And I wasn't because of that. So you like that's been my warning mm-hmm. is those tools definitely teach you what you need to know. But at the same time, um, don't become over-reliant on them if you're a raw lifter because – if you're a raw lifter, the, the name of your game is speed out of the bottom. You know, where like if you're wearing a bench press shirt today or a squat suit, you're going to get some help out of the bottom, then be more on your own as, as you complete the lift with raw at all starts at the bottom. And even if your technique is not optimal, if you can generate enough power and speed out of the bottom of that lift, you have a chance to quote unquote outrun the potential sticking point. You know, I, I was never a technical deadlifter really, and I got really short arms, but. I've built, I've concentrated so, I, I don't think I paid very much attention to, to technique, to be quite honest with you, because every time I worked with somebody on technique, it, it just didn't yield the results. So, I mean, I had decent technique, but what I did have more than anybody is I built crazy explosive power 
his strength. And I, I literally, you know, could have been doing it on one toe and probably lifted a lot of weight just because I was so explosive. Right. And, and I think that's an important factor as well is especially on the deadlift. And this kind of leads me into my next topic here is yeah, what you need to really do as you've seen and what you see some of the best deadlifters do is they just lock into a position and they're able to maintain that position and tr- produce that force. So one of the tools that I see that you've used over the years is isometrics, right? Isometric right. rack pull or pulling into, pu- into pins, um, and, and it's been something that I think is a wildly underutilized tool for powerlifting. Um, uh-huh. I, I've seen isometrics used quite a bit in the sports world. Uh, the head strength coach for the Phoenix Suns, Corey Schlesinger, uses isometrics all the time for, his, for the basketball mm-hmm. guys. And he has tremendous results for that. But I think for deadlifting specifically, because people think – that it's it, it's a more complicated movement than it is. It's like lock uh-huh. into a position and fucking hold on tight. Like that's really, really what you're looking at here. Right. So how do you? Uh, we I got a lot of questions uh, when I posted about us having this conversation about isometrics. Sure. When you use them, how long you use them? I know it's a massive topic and we can go on for hours about it. But kind of just focusing in on a powerlifting, uh, trying to just get a stronger deadlift using isometrics. Yeah. Okay. So first off, I'll just say a couple other things. They also have yielded good results on, um, on overhead pressing and especially on bench pressing. Mm -hmm. So everything we cover on deadlift, you can almost, you can almost switch the words and positions and be at the same spot. So it's not too much different. Okay. So like, we're not like, it's like, if you understand conceptually what we're saying, you can apply this to, to, to most, I mean, shit, you can even apply it to curls. If you, if you had like strict curling or something, I mean, sure, sure. It, I've, I've done it for like literally done it with bodybuilders where I'd have them curling. I got a video on YouTube somewhere. We curl against the rack as mm-hmm. hard as you can for six seconds, drop it, then go back and do like your regular weight of curls and then potentiate your nervous system to lift more. Mm-hmm. So, um, with isometrics, um, all, all, um, an isometrics, basically there's different ways you can do it. Like, um, you know, there's, it's just like a, it's a contraction without range of motion kind of thing without, without moving. So that's all it means. So like technically if you're flexing your bicep and just holding it there, that's isometric, but we're not talking about that. We're talking specifically to, to how I've used it to get rid of sticking points. Correct. That's what we want to talk yeah. about. I'm oh, assuming. absolutely. Yep. Okay. I got it. All right. All right. So what you would do um, is think about your sticking point. I'm, I'm glad people want to talk about this because I feel like I've br- brought this up like numerous times. And I guess because it's not that exciting to, to post on Instagram or, or do <laughs> after the first time. People don't want to keep talking about it, but it's, it's, it's very effective. Okay. And very effective for a few different things. For one, it's, it's definitely like um, one of those things that like, that that like good at like a lot of times when someone is like they start to get to the pinnacle of sport a lot of smaller things may not work as well for them this is definitely something will still work for the elite of the elite and it works for the hardest gainer that's one beauty of it 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 works across you know a spectrum of of populations from like you know intermediate to the most advanced Mm -hmm. and i'm out I'm not gonna say it wouldn't work for a beginner. I, I just don't think it's usually needed. It's not, I'm not saying it wouldn't be effective. Right, right. You know, and, and so 
what 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 we're talking about here is um, you get like so say for example we're sticking to the deadlift here let's say your sticking point is one inch below your knee okay so what you would do is uh, on on let me conv- disclaimer conventional deadlift here for sumo deadlifts these usually work best on the ground like you just would load the bar with more weight than you actually lift um by a lot so if you're deadlifting you know 600 you put 850 on or something that really doesn't have any chance coming off the floor mm-hmm. but if for, for what we're talking about here with the conventional deadlift one inch below the knee is you would get the bar under the rack okay so you would put the bar you know under the the pins and you would put it at that sticking point or slightly below because that sticking point is either gonna it's either manifesting right there and just hits like a brick or it's going to be about an inch lower. I, I would usually advise going really an inch or two lower just to be safe because it's usually going to show a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And the, what, what I'm talking about transfers about 15 to 20 degrees north or south of the joint angle it's at anyway. So if you are slightly off, it wouldn't wouldn't be like into the world or anything. It's just it's not going to transfer the whole range of motion, just that specific spot. And that's the complaint about isometrics is people say they don't like them because of the localized strengthening effect i say the only reason i use them is because of the localized strengthening effect right absolutely it's a way to target it because if you think about it with um sorry for getting a little off this is a very loaded topic so if 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 rack pulls like for example like say you try like a lot of people will do rack pulls and i I remember specifically at one gym i used to train at that one and i worked at in high school there'd be a lot of people that'd come in there that were like five six hundred pound deadlifters and they would load up like eight or 900 pounds on a rack pool. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you know, it didn't do absolutely, it didn't do anything for their deadlift, you know, at all. It, right. it was just a way for, you know, them to like, you know, they just have to hobble back to their midlife crisis Harley and, and get <laughs> out of the gym because that's all it did is like, you know, maybe, you know, strengthen their ego and, and, you know, perhaps, you know, show off to the, you know, the other divorced middle-aged woman or something that they thought would want all of a sudden want a piece of them, but of, of actual powerlifting transference or wasn't there. And um, the reason why is you watch a lot of people say do a rack pull. I've done rack pulls and strawman contests where they're like the two, three inch range motions. Right. With Odhog and we were training and, and dude, our upper backs got so big and jacked from handling such an overload, but it didn't transfer to the deadlift. And the point being is once you get to a certain point in a rack pull, you can basically quarter squat the weight up. Mm-hmm. You get like a you get in a position. You just quarter. So you're not tra- you're not changing that 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 you're not sh- training that movement any longer. It's just like you're just doing a quarter squat, but instead of the barbie in your in your hand in the, on your back, it's in your hands. Right, right. And it, that's not going to help you. It might help you get your upper back stronger. It might you know be fun or, or whatever, but it. I mean, if you get strong enough, like doing shit like that can really wipe you out. I mean, I, I remember like some of those, Ode lived about an hour away and we do those and like, you know, I didn't even drink coffee back then like I do now and I'd have to stop like a Starbucks or something just to like not fall asleep at the wheel because mm-hmm. it, it would really wipe me out bad. And um, the point being that doesn't offer transverse with isometrics, what you're doing is you're pulling at that sticking point as hard as you can for six seconds. So you get to the, you pull as hard as you can for six seconds and what that does is that you're since you're pulling with maximal force you're being stopped right there you're actually going to be in the actual position you are in like Kazmaier, if anybody had it right with the with the rack pulls is he he did rounded back rack pulls so he purposely rounded his back because he said if you miss the deadlift 
that was a position of his upper back. So right, then it actually right. got some transference. Where isometrics does the same thing, but the difference is by doing it this way, you're able to produce about 15% more force for about 10 to 15 times longer. So you, you're overloading that weak point with way more force than you could definitely de typically do concentrically mm -hmm. and a hell of a lot longer time under tension. So you got both of those, you got both of those working in your favor right there. And then, um, and that, that's going to get stronger. And also the other thing is it, it, it teaches an aggressive intent. Like we had talked previously about the intent with compensatory acceleration training, exact same thing here. Mm -hmm. You want to get, you get those isometrics. It's not, um, I, I like how you said you pull into the pins. That's what you want to do. Some people say that they call it a hold. You know, a hold is like, you know, you're doing Bulgarian squats with like a 10 pound dumbbell and you just hold it at the bottom or something. And, and, and that kind of thing. This is like violent kick-ass break the pins kind of thing. You want to pull like your life depends on it. If Because isometrics, like most things in training, if you half-ass it, you get half-assed results. This right. is like if you half-ass it, you don't get any results. Not even half-assed. Mm. You don't, I mean, because if you're not overloading the force capabilities, there's no point of doing it. It's just a complete waste of time. And so you want to pull as hard as you can. So I like to do those. If you're working one spot for three sets, okay? So if you if that's the one spot for three sets. If you're doing like the entire range of motion, so you want to do like toward the bottom, toward the middle, toward the top, you do two at each spot, okay? Now here's the kicker. After you do each isometric pull for six seconds, immediately do a speed single. Go like, you know, anywhere from like 60 to 70% and pull as fast as you can because my idea is I'm programming the nervous system to to be that strong however i want i need to i need to, i need to it to remember the actual movement pattern i'm mm, training got to grease the groove right exactly you got to grease the groove and you got to and that that was one of the um, you know be, that was one of the fears of the isometrics is it could impair the mo the motor pattern but i think the counteraction that if you to that is by do greasing the groove immediately after mm. yeah and i i can attest to uh just feeling like you got hit by a bus. Uh, I ran a cycle with isometrics and I, I would, I would get tired from training because in multiply, like you, you're handling weight that you can't handle raw. Right. So you're right. already putting a ton of weight on your back and, or you're already holding weights in your hands that your body normally wouldn't be able to touch. And even when I failed in multiply, like it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. As soon as that weight was in my hands and I was had to hold it just isometrically either at the top or it, wherever, I was fucked. Like I, I would, yeah. it was brutal. So would you say how long of a cycle would you run isometrics for? Would you just sprinkle them in like would, every couple of weeks or what would you do? No, I would go like typically if it's a real serious sticking point, we're targeting, I'd go like a three week cycle, take a week deload, then another three, without them. And then a three week cycle again. And that, that shit longer than that. I mean, the research and all the Russian textbooks, I kind of deduce this just off reading Russian textbooks um, and they were, they were saying back then, like no more than eight weeks. Yeah. And I think that I can definitely see that. Like, even if you can handle it, it would quit being effective. It's like one of those things. It's not, you know, obviously people be deadlifting 3000 pounds. If it was just kept going up like that, it's a way to really spike your strength quickly, but you, you can't abuse it. You know what I mean? You can't like, it's one of those things that it's like, okay, it's not like if this is my deadlift go up 50 pounds over six weeks. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to try to don't go for like 300 pounds over a year. It ain't going to happen. And you're just going to get run yourself, you know, into the ground. And I think the other, you know, we have like built in, you know, force regulators in your body, like the Golgi tendon organ and things like that. And a way you can like do de inhibition training is with isometrics. You can, cause all those built in safety mechanisms for the sake of strength, they, they, they turn on way too early. Mm-hmm. Like your body's like, Oh shit, relax, you know? Where isometrics, like compensatory acceleration training, um, you know, overload holds and partials, and any kind of explosive training like plyometrics or something are a way to desensitize that Golgi tendon organ where it doesn't regulate so early. Right. And and another uh, positive of doing these isometrics, and this is you can only really experience this if you've done them, is mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like the first one... It, you can tell somebody, all right, break the bar, break, blah, blah, blah. But it takes them like one or two sets for them to really just fucking lock in. And you see this shift. It's like, oh, I really wasn't creating the force I thought I was creating. Right. You almost see. Yeah. Them. Like, yeah. I remember Steve Johnson did him when he was going for that is 900 pound deadlift. And he was like sending him in woozy walking around the gym. And like, like it was a mistake. I said, well, that, that, you know, that means you're probably doing it right because like, you know, you're pulling that hard mm. where, you know, if like a lot of people, if I'm not with them and they're doing it online, say like, right. I didn't have difficult. This was giving an RP and they're saying, Oh, it's a six or something. Okay. You're not doing it right. Not the close. RP should be a 10. Yeah. It's not, it's not a pleasant thing. And, and, that's interesting about like a lot of people don't, I think a lot of people don't want to do them not because of that. They don't think they're very cool looking and stuff, but if once someone pushes, um, pushes it to the point they should push it to, they will have definitely more respect for the, that modality and, and not abuse it so much. Mm, absolutely. I, I know, I know for me, I was, I was walking around. I was just kind of almost, you're in a daze. You're like, what the fuck just happened to me? Like, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and it's that intent, I think, is going to be a common thread through the rest of this conversation and through this whole thing is is you're helping people to not necessarily, well, potentially unlock their real intent towards this goal. It's like you, you're able to help people uh, to, you know, feel the things they're supposed to feel, almost think right. about the process in a different way. And I, and I think that's something that's special to you. And the whole jailhouse strong brand is you've never lost that idea of mindset. You've never lost that ideal of idea of intention and understanding, you know, thinking these thoughts in a way that helps you produce, you know, performance on the platform. Right. So, I mean, you've written books right. on it. You've written books on mindset. You've written books on meditation. You've done books on everything like fasting. You've done books. It's amazing to see. But I think that concept of mindset is something that separates you from a lot of other coaches. And I want you to talk into well, that whole aspect of your training as well. Well, yeah, it's, it's not just training. So it, it's everything and, and intention is everything. So even for like bodybuilding, you know, we just talk about compensatory acceleration training. If you're trying to do your cable flies that way, you're not going to optimize results. You might get hurt, you know? So it, it's going to be, um, for me, uh, the story, be a little more personal. So what happened was I've always, I think like with, with sports and stuff, um, I was kind of born with the right, right mentality Mm -hmm. of like more cocky, 
um, you know, not cocky, but like more, more to that direction than confident, just, I mean, than, than lacking confidence. Right. Right. Always have been, you know, and then, um, always, uh, just working hard. I, I didn't, um, like a couple times early on, like when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't make an all-star basketball team. Then I just went and just played all the time and made it. So I, I basically had some setbacks that were beneficial then put in the work and then was rewarded for the work, you know, like, so like, kind of like no one had to tell me anything. I just, it was like my own experience kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then, um, I, yeah, so I was had an obsessive kind of personality and it actually paid off. So then what happened was, and that was just with, my own training, like just how, you know, my own working out, my own kind of um, sports and stuff. So not really understanding like it to how to communicate it to other people or, or, you know, anything like that. Well, fast forward is I wasn't, um, I mean, I, I was on, um, I went to a doctor and he said that um, he thought I should get on an antidepressant. And um, I did. Mm -hmm. And it did, I didn't feel very good on it. And it just kind of made me like, um, you know, like, for example, going from like, you know, pitching a tent, waking up in the morning, you know, full attention to kind of like, Ugh, you know, like, yeah, right, right. don't feel bad, just kind of kind of like blah. And, um, you know, one day, um, I, out of nowhere, I was someone was talking about like, um, earning money or something. And, um, and uh, I was like, yeah, at the gym I'm at, I can never afford to charge that. I'm like, what the? F I'm like, out of nowhere, I was like, what the hell did I just say? Like, <laughs> if I'm I'm a self fulfilling prophecy, like I know, but no one told me that, and I've been saying stuff like that for years, but I don't know what, I don't know why it hit me or something. Mm -hmm. It did though, and then one day, and I was also working as a, um, a high school strength coach at one of the top high schools, and, and I was helping set some stuff up for a, you know, it wasn't even something I was really involved with. I'm like thinking like. Like I was thinking, I just read a book by Charles Polk. I'm like, Charles Polk would would not be doing this bullshit, right? Uh, something's right. got to change, right? I, I I don't know what what hit me. I don't know why or what. Then I got this book called Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, mm -hmm. and like within like I just started thinking that way. And like within a month, you know, I decided to quit that job, and I was already making more money on the side than I was actually at the job, mm -hmm. and and everything just started catapult. So I just started like it was one of those things of like, you know, Michael Jordan may not be the best basketball coach because it came easy. This was not something that came easy to me. It was like, so I didn't do like what you're supposed to do and taper off that pill. I just, I literally flushed them down the toilet mm -hmm. and just started doing all this mindset stuff. And, um, it all, it just all started paying off. It was like, it was almost like I was in like, uh, um, like living in the, as Fred Hatfield would say in the zone, everything just started connecting. Mm -hmm. And then I started to see how much power I had over my own fate and destiny. You know, I was giving it away. Like, I mean, like, for example, like, you know, like just talking about working a Metroflex, you can't get people with money. It's like, yeah, it's one way to look at it. Or the flip side is you can, you know, get like doctors will pay you a lot to come down there because I think it's cool to come down to like the hood and, kick ass you know kind of thing so right there right. was always an angle i just i wasn't finding that angle and it was the reason i wasn't finding it i don't necessarily think i it may be some kind of law of mystical attraction or, or whatever it may just be i don't know what the actual exact catalyst is i just know that if you close your eyes of things you're not going to see anything mm -hmm. and i don't know you know if you open your eyes you're gonna you're gonna see the opportunity so
doing all this got me into a, you know, a deep search for this stuff. And um, I just started, you know, categorizing it and putting out content and helping other people with it because, you know, I could have, I could have, um, you know, I could have, like when I was growing up, I remember like what, one of the expressions people always said was talk is cheap. I don't think that's true. The way you talk about yourself has crazy results. Like I get, I've been around a lot of bullshit artists too that mm -hmm. like, you know, they're always on the next get rich quick scheme, but they're saying stuff that they don't, they know it's not actually true if you if you know i've always but so i was in the mindset of like talk is cheap it doesn't matter but learning how to direct your talk it directs your thoughts and and finally directs your destiny and and being able to do that categorizing it and helping other people because i wish um like for example one thing is um you should you should um you should not be happy uh, you know, you, people say, you know, I always thought you're happy because of good circumstances, not you're happy. Then you get better circumstances because right. you are happy. Like I never knew that. No one told me that. Mm -hmm. And I have really good, really good parents and stuff. I just, no one told me like, so I had to like the stuff that didn't come so natural to me. I just had to research on myself and kind of figure it out. But luck, I wish I would have had like that psycho cybernetic book just way earlier. And that book was is really good because I like to read, but you know it's like five six hundred pages of like really small print and all that kind of stuff. So some of those ideas, my own ideas, ideas I've learned along the way, and just um, you know, another one is like it's done like a lot of like self hypnosis and stuff. I used to work with a, a really good hypnotist. He died a couple years ago. He's an older guy, and I learned a lot there. So all this different mindset stuff. And intention is stuff. It's always like, the, it's kind of funny. It's always like the first thing to go, you know, with like say, a, say like a company runs on a, you know, a hard time. They're the first thing to cut out is their wellness program or, or whatever kind of oh, mindset yeah. training they might have. But that's probably reality what they need the most. Just how like your Start business sucks. You cut the mark. You cut the marketing budget. Well, you kind of need those people, you know, you should start with it exactly. And then, you know, whatever else, but that people don't see it that way. And, and even like, you know, it's like even in sports and all that stuff, people don't talk about it. So I, I try to put a lot of content out there for, you know, not only to help people that I work with or don't know, and it's to help people I don't know and people that stumble upon it. So like even like as YouTube or wherever, even though, you know, the books are like the mindset books, two ninety nine. Mm. It, it's just that, you know, I think people value something more if they pay for it a lot of times, but I don't want to make it like where, you know, if it, it's impossible where you have to buy some thousand dollar course, if you're broke kind of thing. So trying to put that information out there that, to help people um, be the best versions of themselves. They're going to compete better. They're going to do better in life. And, and it, I'm just sharing things that have actually worked with me. This isn't like I've researched the periodicals and th these, I, this is like kind of what I derive from. No, this is my personal story. Absolutely. And I, and I think you had mentioned psycho cybernetics and I read that book as well. And, uh, it, do you use the idea of that mental theater and, and the imagery Absolutely. for, for yourself and your athletes? Yeah. So it's a mental movies is, is huge. It's, um, I think it's, um, I did a little differently. See, I did that before I, I read that book. I did it a little differently though. Like for instance, I used to go like what was the deadlift. I remember deadlift 800 the first time. I would load that weight on the bar mm -hmm. and I would sit there and stare at it 
and some days I get really psyched up and actually run up to it like I'm going to lift it but not lift it. Then other days I just sit there, stare at it, and lay down and just watch movies of myself over and over and over. And I had never read the book at this point, but I remember um, I used to train with Gary Frank, and he um, he would always be um, he'd always be dipping like tobacco even when he's working out. Right. And right. it would yeah. So we would be down. I would be in there, and he always all he'd yell at speed, speed, speed. And I just remember like visualizing the mental movie of that 800 deadlift. And, and hearing him yell speed and then smelling the smell of that tobacco, that strong smell of that, you know, straight cut skull tobacco he would mm-hmm. use. And that's how real it gets. You know, it gets that real of like where, you know, it, 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 if, when you do it right. So like that's the thing is people got to understand if you start doing this, you're probably not going to do it like perfectly like the first time where you're like you're fully concentrated. If you if your mind gets off track or whatever, that's fine. Just go back to it. You know, it's not going to, it's like lifting weights or anything other skill. It's going to take a lot of repeated practice to get it right. Mm. Um, another one I've done lately is I actually have at my house now it is a float tank. Yeah. And I do that too. Uh, I love the float tank. And, and that's, I mean, that's crazy. We're kind of have full on hallucinations in that thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've had conversations with dead Fred Hatfield there before. Yeah, so, I, I believe it. It's it's crazy, you know what I mean? It's like freaky crazy in a good way. Mm. I mean, and I've had a uh, my background actually before I got into coaching was with uh, with counseling, so I, a lot of mental health stuff. And uh, flow tanks were always something that were thrown into the mix because it allows somebody to be left alone with themselves and their thoughts, and to experience just nothing other than themselves. And it's, it's a lot of people can't handle it. That's why you hear people that go into these float tanks and they freak out because they just yeah. can't, they can't handle themselves. They can't handle not having that, uh, external stimuli over and over and over and over and over. And when you shut that off, your, your brain starts to kind of make shit up <laughs> to fill that space. Right. And sometimes, you know, if, if you gotta be realistic with yourself, if you're feeling lonely in that float tank, you may not like the person you're alone with, and that means you got to take some action mm. to start liking that person. Yeah, you no, know, and, for sure, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, it, it's it's um, it, yeah. If you can't spend like a, you know some time in there alone, and, and that's probably not the best spot to be in. Mm. Absolutely. Now, uh, you had mentioned a couple of these mental tools. Is how do you uh, do you integrate these with your athletes, or do you find that the athletes that kind of come to you are already starting to utilize these sort of systems? Both. I, I just kind of, you know, ask people questions and stuff and see, see if they're ready. If like, you know, if you're not doing any of this stuff and your lifts are going up and, and you're just want to go ready for a powerlifting meet, there's no point of, of throwing this in there. We can kind of like keep this, we can keep this when we need it. So I basically just, you know, keep up with people and, and see when they need it kind of thing. Like versus like a lot of people are already doing it something them that like themselves. So a lot of lifters that are, are really good lifters are doing this themselves already, if they, whether they know it or not, like just, mm-hmm. you know, they're daydreaming and like the movies we're talking about, the, 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 the issue might come when like, you know, like how myself was like when you get outside of the athletic arena, then what, like 
do you know how to apply this to your business, to your job, to your family, whatever kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's where the, 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 you might have the issues, but absolutely will. I just kind of like, you know, you know, and it'll fill people out a little bit, give them, you know, give them a little bit of time. And, and I think if you say, Hey, you got to do this every day and this, this, and this, you can overwhelm people. So like anything else in life, uh, timing is of the essence. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look at the stable of athletes that you've, you've coached over the years, I mean, and still coach now is, is like Tom Haviland, you got Julius Maddox. I mean, even Brittany diamond, Steve Johnson, like all these people that are just high levels in their respective arenas. And it's like, you, you see that through line of, you can tell that they take the time they need to focus on the task at hand and lock themselves the fuck in because they're just absolute mutants. Absolutely. And yeah, so it probably does. I think also you attract, you know, like you were just saying, you attract the, you know, more the, if you're like more of a public figure, say, Mm -hmm. and people know what you do, you're going to probably attract more, um, you know, the the right i guess the right kind of client for yourself yeah the more you the more you get well known just like i think that's part of the 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 way of having success after time is you know part of it is just like people get to know who you are and what you're all about Mm -hmm. and they're gonna be drawn to you to you not drawn to you because obviously it's impossible to work with everybody yeah and and some some people may not be the right fit and that that doesn't have to be anything personal it's just didn't mesh for whatever reason so Mm -hmm. there's should theoretically be, you know, enough of the right kind to go around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's one of the the coolest parts about working with you is that it's, it's not just about the strength gains. Like you opened my mind to the whole different perspective on how to train, uh, on the intention of what you're doing on the intensity, right? You, you also were a great advocate for understanding what real hard work is. Right. And, and I think that there is a lot of, um, bullshit out there about people that yeah. say they work hard but man after even just a few months with you i was like fuck i wasn't doing shit i wasn't doing anything compared to this right and I'm not saying that lot, you beat yeah. me into submission but like just the overall even the low day i was like fuck i have to center my decisions outside of this training session to better support my training sessions themselves that's a good way to put it and that that's that's another thing is you tell i'll be that's another thing i've learned over the last few years more recently is you just got to be straight up with people if you say hey um like for instance i want to like i want to you know go hiking for you know 13 miles every saturday and i'm going to squat on sunday kind of thing you got to tell them hey you know what i get you're not going for a world championship in powerlifting, I'm totally good with that. But you realize you are sacrificing your squat results. You can make the decision if that's worth it to you. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. If you're not trained to be the best in powerlifting, say, I mean, that's fine if that's what you like to do. I'm just saying I would be also doing you a disservice if I said there was no ill effect Mm -hmm. on the squat workout. You know what I mean? So I think you have to be transparent with people. I I found out like – you know, just being straight up with people, they, they actually appreciate it. Like I've said, like, you know, you know, like if say, Hey, you know, what you're doing right here is bullshit. You said this, you're doing this, like, um, you know, come on. And I figured like, I'm surprised how often you call people out on that Mm -hmm. and they actually go, you know what? You're right. I appreciate you saying that kind of thing. It's very rare. Someone will just be like, no, no. And worst case, they might make excuses, but like, 
I think like in today's culture and world, people do in a way like to be called out just so you can, you know, it's kind of refreshing, you know, not someone not making excuses for them. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with a, a colleague the other day about what a uh-huh. coach actually does. And, it, and it's very reminiscent to my days in the counseling field is like we're as a coach, you're almost you're a reflective surface for that person. You need to tell them the objective reality of the situation because you're taking the responsibility of their success and of their progress. Like you need to be the person that is objectively real with them throughout the process, because that's something that we don't get on a day-to-day basis. Most people that uh, interact with us aren't giving us the truth or the reality. That's just this sugar-coated, like that antidepressant feeling of like muted. It's like everything is fucking muted and it's not real. Right. And it, and people love that real. And I think that's why people have been able to get so much value out of the information and, and material that you've put out over the years is because you're like, this is the fucking truth and this is what works. Here's the results. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's so true. You just, have, just tell people the truth. And, and if, if they don't like it there, if they put it this way, if you tell somebody it's obviously the truth, not like a debatable thing, and they don't like it at some point and they have an issue with it at some point they would have another issue anyway. So you kind of just got ahead of the game, you know? Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for sure. He just kind of like got, you talk about bullshit. You got rid of a lot of it right there because either they're going to be like, Oh wow. I never looked at it that way. Thanks for pointing that out. Or like, Oh, well, you know, whatever. And, and it's just not true. Mm. Now, one of the, this kind of is, is a great last sort of topic to talk about. Uh, we got yeah. we got some questions, and this kind of uh, encompasses all the topics that we've brought up thus far. Let's do it. Is you have been known as one of the coaches that works with like blue collar workers and just just punching yeah. the clock, making the work happen. We got a question specifically for someone who is about middle age, 35, 40 years old, blue collar worker, uh-huh. has a family priorities, and still wants to get brutally fucking strong. How would you go about working with them based on those sort of parameters? Well, if it's a blue collar worker, I think one, one mistake a lot of people make is they figure since they're like working hard at work, they can't handle high intensity. The reality is the opposite. They usually can't handle high volume because all they're doing is low level volume as a blue collar worker. Yep. So if you're like a mover, you're generally not having to like, I mean, I've helped people move stuff like, I mean, generally like it's not that heavy. It's like repetitive low end volume. So I would keep the session shorter and I would keep them, them higher intensity. It's against conventional wisdom, but think about it. All you're doing all day is low volume. I mean, high volume, low intensity work. So you need high volume, you need high intensity, low volume work. So you don't need a ton of frequency a few days a week, hit it hard, keep the workouts fairly short is where would be my starting point. And I know more. Yeah. And no. then you'll have time with your family. Yes. Absolutely. And now that also kind of paints the picture of having the priority straight. It's like understanding what the priority is for that training session. It's like, okay. And obviously you would have the conversation, you would let them know, but like get in, get out, do the thing, move on to the next aspect. Right. And and how often do you see that uh, working with uh, someone like this, for the example, that there is there they're just not doing the little things like they should like they're not eating like they should most of the time you hear blue collar worker it's like stop at a gas station 
pick up a gas station hot dog or two and slam an energy drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, it, it's all these like little, little bits that you can pick up these low hanging fruit everywhere that kind of build the momentum right. going in the right direction. Right. And then this could, a lot of times somebody like that, like, so a lot of people, um, especially for like fat loss or something like not so, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't really call like a, a police officer blue, blue collar as much. Uh, and sometimes they are, but not always. And right, right. generally is, is like intermittent fasting and things like that can work really well because it's really hard for them to like, Hey, get five meals a day at this time where you can, usually commit to one one or two bigger meals kind of thing mm-hmm. so yeah i think that with blue collar workers in particular there's a ton of low-hanging fruit like of of like you just said like you know it doesn't have to be like if you're doing the energy drink and two hot dogs you could you could switch that to you know even if you're like at um you know a grilled chicken sandwich at whataburger or something's gonna be a huge improvement so like it doesn't have to be from that to like you know, prep, prep mode for the Olympia kind of nutrition. Right. There's generally like some small changes that wouldn't even require like a, a change of lifestyle, quote unquote, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the final question that we got a bunch of, and something I want you to touch on right before, just as right. the last thing is rocking. Rocking has been something right. that has been asked about quite a bit. Uh, you, you're a big proponent of it. And I've seen, I mean, I was talking to Brittany diamond when she came down to elite and she was talking about how she was doing it all the time when she was back in the Northeast. And it it was something that I actually participated in when I was living back in new England. I would just throw a heavy, heavy plate in a backpack and just fucking go for a walk in the woods. And I can tell you first and foremost, in the beginning, you're like, Oh, this is fucking easy. About seven minutes in, you're like, what the fuck? Like, how, where am I feeling this? Like the, the whole thing is just an entirely different experience. And it was the, one of the best conditioning tools I've ever used in my life. And it is something sure. I still crave to this day. And it's nothing that I've ever craved like this before. It, it's, it's something different. And I want you to kind of talk on it a little bit. Um, yeah. So I've done it in one form or another, um, I, I know I was doing it in 2002 for sure. So 20 years, I didn't know the name of it then, but what I used to do is, um, like, uh, I was, I was never training like West side per se or conjugate, but yeah, I, I right. liked a lot of the work, work capacity stuff that Louis Simmons has written about. And he was talking about, um, doing sleds and stuff. So I was like, okay, what about, you know, walking at first when you weigh about 300 pounds, walking is kind of a task, you know, for mm-hmm. any kind of like 30 minutes, then you get used to it. Then it's like, okay, I'm going to start walking up and down stadiums. And that, then after a while, you get used to that. So what I started doing is um, I started walking up and down. Like there's where I used to live, there's a big stadium. I'd walk up and down it, you know, at a, with a 40-pound vest. And it was like the perfect amount of, of you know, kind of like that kind of work capacity work. So I was doing it back then, and I really liked it. And then so what happened was I was – I I did a um, – it's out. It's a tactical strength conditioning course for mm-hmm. ISSA. It's called tactical conditioning specialist. And, um, one of the issues in, in the research was like rucking. I realized there was like nothing because obviously, they, you know, in the in literature, they call it load carriage. Um, cause you know, it's like an army rucksacks kind of where the term came from, right, right. but it's not like a actual, you know, for the, the load carriage would apply to anybody. 
So there, like, I was looking around and like, obviously that's part of like, for instance, um, literally just right before we got the phone, sent a workout to a guy that does SWAT and, and he, when he's like on call, he's in 66 pounds a year. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of gear, right? So sure like, is. I mean, so I was looking at, you know, the average warfighter in Afghanistan, about a hundred pounds. So there's a lot of load there and there's no information on, there wasn't any kind of systematic, like way to really train for it categorize it. there's like people that are rucking a lot but i don't really feel like they had like a a system of sorts mm-hmm. it was more just like you know like it's fun like throwing your pack and like we'll get ruck all night then like you know barbecue and drink beer at the end which is fun which is great for for that but for like people that are actually like tactical athletes there was so i started researching the hell out of it and then during the research i'm like um you know i remember something might have been Louis Simmons or Dave Tate. One of the people said something along, like a lot of strength coaches are trying to teach something they never possess, strength. Mm-hmm. Like, I kept hitting them, like, okay. I've done, I used to walk around with a weighted vest, but I've never really, like, done this a lot. So I'm going to start, not only, you know, when I'm putting this course out, I started experimenting everything on myself. And it worked great. I mean, I, I've had, like, you know, like I've had, you know, not so obviously I'm not a cop or military, but like hunting and stuff. It's just, I saw the payoff there mm-hmm. and, you know, and so I started to categorize it and, and put it into not only the course, but then into an actual book too. But, um, I think it's like one of the best ways if you're in shape. So you put it this way, if you can't walk at a brisk pace for an hour straight or so you, you don't need to listen to this you can stop this here if this is right. the last thing we're talking about because right make sure you can walk comfortably for an hour straight at a fairly fast pace if not there's no reason to add load to you mm-hmm. okay i i know it, i know it's cool but you're not gonna think it's cool when you're 45 minutes into it and you can't walk that much without it so don't do it if you if you can't do that um but i found it's one of the best ways to get you know some good aerobic work and it's way lower impact on your body than jogging mm-hmm. it's it's gonna actually like especially if you're not like an advanced athlete you can actually add muscle from doing it. it's gonna improve your posture because the way the rucksack pulls your back it's going to um i would say for most people you want to just basically keep it in that aerobic zone so like you're you know like heart rate like 115 to 140 ish and what it does is get like for strength that's in particular gives you a good chance to give if you don't go above that intensity the rucking is actually going to help you know your regeneration it's going to help you not you know have a higher aerobic capacity so how does that help you if you're not running a 5k or something what it does is it's going to allow you to recover quicker between sets it's going to allow you to recover um quicker between workouts like i did um alligator hunting earlier this year and um one of it was it was with a knife though like so it's pretty scary yeah it's pretty scary scary right and like i remember like just after i got my alligator it's it's a pretty long process it's like about a minute or so on the alligator getting it like 1001 to 60 and i remember just getting off it and i wasn't even breathing hard hardly Mm -hmm. i mean it was it was like it hit me a little bit later kind of breathing hard like what the hell did i do but like at that point i knew this had all been paying off like it was like and I, I, I put that alligator 250 pounds on my back and walk with it for, I was like, dude, I felt like this had really been paying off. And, and that that's, I've, I've seen such a translation to real life activities. And that's why I knew it transfer, you know, so well for the tactical athlete. 
and anybody. Yeah, I mean, first off, pause. You hunted an alligator with a fucking knife. With Manny Puig, dude, that guy from Jackass. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you win. You win. I would have needed a long fucking knife. A real fucking long knife. That's it. And it, it, it's funny that you mentioned how that was an everyday activity. You're like, oh, I feel so good carrying this fucking dinosaur on my back that I killed it with my was, hands. But I'm saying it, it was like, it, it sounds crazy, but like, um, I've known I've been in, I've, again, I've like, I don't want to like down, like say this is like, you know, if you're actually like in a real shootout or something, obviously more stressful, but I've been that like a couple water boxes since I've walked up and, you know, withdrew my gun, bam, 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 shot him real quick. And I feel like I was under good control because of the way I train and, mm. and be able to handle high stress situations. Yeah, that's it. it and it has been something that, uh, like I said, I had a conversation with Brittany about it and just from my own experience with it, it kind of scratches that fucking like caveman itch of like right. hunting and gathering, like in the, especially cause I was doing it like in the woods, like up a slightly mountainous area. And it was just like me and my buddies just being dudes, just fucking, yeah. just, you know what I mean? And it just, it was like addicting and we were trying to fuck with each other. And it was, you were like going up this fucking hills and this, that, and the other thing. And just, it was, it was one of, and it was the best condition and conditioned I've been from doing that. And it was, it just made everything else easier. And I think that's the main and point. It, it, it just makes everything fucking easier. It makes everything easier. And it's not one of those things that has to be like, it shouldn't be super painful. It should be mm -hmm. like a slow progression and like, you know, you're at the point where like what was killing you earlier, you can like walk with one of your friends and have a full on conversation. Mm. And, and you know what I mean? Like it's, you don't want to necessarily, t you don't want to take it up to that level. If you can just go a little, you know, like an hour or so in that aerobic zone, it makes, that's the best way to put it. It makes everything easier. Like I just give you an example of those kind of crazy examples because those crazy examples show like where it's a high stress situation and your conditioning paid off. Mm -hmm. You know, if I said, hey, you know what? Like, you know, I went out to my kid's flag football game. The coach wasn't there on time. So I threw everybody passes and he get tired. And you'd be like, oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, right. No, right. I got an alligator with a knife, 250 pounds, put on my back and walk with it. Like, mm -hmm. that was a conditioning. That I mean, that's real conditioning. That's also, help. you know, if you have to help a friend move or something and, and you do that, you'll notice like, you know, that was sort of the here when we moved here. I actually hired movers to do all the work, and they couldn't do the weights, all the equipment in the garage. Oh, they no couldn't shit. do it. So I just told them, "Don't even worry about this. I'll do it myself." And I did it. Let him. I literally did it myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I the, these guys do it for a living are like looking at me like I'm nuts, and I it was no problem because of all this kind of rucking and stuff. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why you named your business Jailhouse Strong, right? Gas station right. ready, right? Like just getting, gotta it's the be. fuck it. You got to be ready for anything. You got to be ready to fucking do what you got to do. I, I think um, rucking is one of the best ways to be ready for most things. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not going to get you ready at the highest level for, for one thing besides rucking, but it does sure seem to have a lot of transference for a lot of different things. Mm. It's like the, the best way to get ready before you have to get ready for something specific. You know, I, I would, I think so for sure. 
That's awesome. Well, Josh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This has been an absolute fucking pleasure. Uh, huge fan. Uh, people can find you at jailhousestrong.com, I imagine. Um, joshstrength.com. Joshstrength.com. Joshstrong is the Instagram. Awesome. Um, joshstrength on Twitter. And um, yeah, so that's where I'll be. So, awesome. and Josh Frank method on Facebook. So, yeah, I'm I'm around. Awesome. So, guys, buy his books. Uh, he, I imagine you have some slots open for coaching available as well. Yeah, hit me up on there. Beautiful. All right, thank you very much, Josh. And on behalf of myself and me, because it's I'm the only one fucking doing this. Uh, thank you very much again, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you later on. Well, I, I'm really glad to be on here, Sam. I'm glad to support your show. I think you're one of the people that's proven you like you're actually sticking around and not a poser. I mean, I see I, I rip on people, but I always see like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about this. And like six months later, you know, I, you know, BMWs, you know, thousand oh, dollars yeah. off or <laughs> come, come get your new roof. I'm like, get my new roof. Yeah. I you Bulletproof my hamstrings, man. Yeah. What the hell happened? That was, this was it. Was it your passion? This was a, an impulsive child that just made a decision to try something new for a day. Uh-huh. But um, you're sticking with it, dude, so I'm proud of you. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you helping me in the past. And actually, uh, before we stop recording, I'm going to put this out there. I want to, I'm want to. i going to be having a conversation with you about hiring you again uh, for my next – because I'm going to Nationals in 2023 for Strongman. Okay. And I want to be a fucking mutant, and you're the only person I want to work with, so – We'll make that happen off air and we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Look forward to it, buddy. All right, coach. We'll be in touch. I'll see you. All right, buddy. See you soon. Bye. Right, bye.